All right, everybody, we're in the back room having the debate between threads versus Twitter, alien life forms at the UFOs. They've been cited, but we're not sure exactly if we've got their parts. What parts? <laughs> we're not going to talk about that. But hey, welcome to the green room of Disrupt TV, where we don't talk about controversial subjects. <laughs> but anyways, we're going to do a reverse introduction of everybody here. Um, and of course, with some amazing guests. I'm here with my great co-host, Vala Afshar, our pr producer today, Hannah Hawk, and more importantly, um, you know, our amazing team here. So uh, we've got great guests, and I want to do a quick introduction and have them go back in reverse order. Tell me where you're coming in from and what you're talking about today. So, Nat, I'll start with you. Go to Sharon and, of course, Anthony. So, Nat. Hey, Nat Barrett, uh, Stimson Center Loomis Council member, and I'm talking about responsible AI and how it impacts society. Woohoo! Great topic. All right. Thanks. Sharon, welcome. Thank you. Uh, Sharon McPherson Oh, Sharon, here. sorry. Yep, yep. No, no worries. No worries. Um, I, I really want to talk about not just AI, but I want to get into uh, a little bit of a discussion around some of the different types of AI, because I just feel like we're talking about AI, AI. But, you know, there's all kinds of AI. And I want to talk about uh, not just the impact on society, but um, on uh, economic development, job creation, and really looking at some of the most marginalized segments of our global society. And Sharon, it's been a while since we did this at Founding Fathers and Tyson's. I remember. Yeah. So, Anthony, go ahead. Hi, everybody. Anthony Scrifignano, also Loomis Council, Stimson Center. I'm not as smart as Nat, so I didn't put it in my in my title on the screen. Uh, but uh, I want to talk about the stuff that we think is true but isn't really true and the things that are true that we wish weren't in the context of AI. So there's a lot of assumptions that get made, and those assumptions get us in a lot of trouble. So I hope to challenge our thinking a little bit. Was that a meta hallucination or what? <laughs> uh, in fact, I try to say everything in a way that you can't ever quote what I just said. So. Darn, I don't even know what he just said. All right, with that, we're going to turn it back to you, Hannah. Let's do the count and let's get started. All right, we will get started in three, two. Welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Von Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, our distinguished guests, your questions using hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Surviving and Thriving in a World of Digital Giants. He's on TV every day. I see him on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, CNBC, Bloomberg. In my opinion, he's one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to the Shrop TV. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm here with Vala Afshar, the Chief Digital Evangelist for Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence, his new book, Boundless, a new mindset for unlimited business success, is going to be available this September. And you can pre-order it already on Amazon. But... You know, when he's not writing books and when he's not speaking everywhere, he's basically sending inspirational, insightful tweets, and we're all looking at them. And more importantly, he's also leading events at Salesforce. And you can find him speaking on business TV outlets such as Bloomberg and, of course, posting his insightful analyses on ZDNet. But it's not about me. It's not about him. It's about you, the guests that are here and our amazing audience. Who do we have to kick it off today? We have a panel format for this show. So... Please give me the opportunity to introduce all three guests before we uh, start our show. We, in fact, have a fourth guest. Hopefully, he'll be joining us as well. But we'll start with Dr. Anthony Scrifignano, global award-winning data 
uh, chief data scientist. Anthony is an internationally recognized data scientist with experience spanning over 40 years in multiple industries and enterprise domains. Anthony has extensive background in advanced anomaly detection, computational linguistics, and advanced inferential methods, leveraging that background as primary inventor on multiple patents. I'm, I'm curious how many patents, we'll ask Anthony. Anthony was recognized as the US Chief Data Officer of the Year by CDO Club, the world's largest community of C-suite digital and data leaders. Anthony's a distinguished fellow with the Stimson Center, and he's a member of the OECD network of experts on AI working group on implementing trustworthy AI focused on benefiting people and the planet. Anthony has provided expert advice on private sector data officers to group of state chief data officers and the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy. You can follow Anthony on Twitter at SRI, S-S-R-I-F-F-I-G-N-A-N-O-1. Welcome, Anthony, to Disrupt TV. Thank you. It took me till third grade to learn to spell my name, in case you're wondering. It, it, I, listen, <laughs> Vala Afshar, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> uh, our, our next guest is uh, Sharon McPherson, CEO of the Green Jobs Machine, adjunct senior lecturer at the University of Cape Town Graduate School of Business and faculty at Singularity University. Green Jobs Machine is a global climate tech company that makes people, communities, governments and businesses stronger in tough environments. Sharon is a leading expert on the impact of technology disruption for emerging market growth and development. Sharon is also the co-founder and former CEO of one of Africa's largest women infrastructure investment group, WIND, Women in Infrastructure Development and Energy. Sharon has addressed a wide range of audiences, including TED Talk and World Economic Forum. You can follow Sharon on Twitter at M-C-S-H-A-R-R-O-N. Welcome back, Sharon, to Disrupt TV. Thank you. Thanks, Phil. Great to have you. And we have our, our final guest. We have Natalie Barrett, a non-resident fellow at the Atlantic Council Geotech Center and a Loomis Council member at the Stimson Center. While at the John Hopkins University Applied Physics Laboratory, Natalie primarily focused on human machine teams, artificial intelligence, advanced communication, and climate strategy. Prior to joining GHU, Natalie served across government and commercial industries focused on defense, innovation, robotics, and biotechnology. Welcome, Natalie, to Disrupt TV. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. Thank you for being here. Uh, we are hoping Dr. David Bray will join us. For those who watch Disrupt, uh, David uh, has been on our show numerous times, so just know a Big brain, super nice guy. <laughs> Here's how yeah. summarizing. Yeah, so. <laughs> That's a good summary. It's good summary. And you know, he was uh, business insider named him one of the top 24 Americans who are changing the world. So anyone who knows Dr. Bray knows he's pretty awesome, really cool dude. <laughs> so hopefully he'll join us. All right, Ray, the floor is yours. Yeah, no, let's go to Nat. Nat, the first question is to you. Why now? Why are we talking about AI? I thought we had a winter and then another winter and then another winter. And we're also talking trust societies and people. I mean, what happened? We, this, was, this was a hot topic 10 or 20 years ago, and it's suddenly coming back again. Like, <laughs> so. It's a great question. So I, I want to start with sort of a non-AI example. Um, my daughter, during COVID... I don't know how many of you have kids and had uh, COVID happen, but I gave my child access to something called Roblox. And apparently there was a game on there called Adopt Me. And it yep. turns out that there's a green button with a logo that looks like a dollar sign that she thought, and I thought was not working with my real money until I looked at my bank account. <laughs> and then I called Roblox or I tried. It turns out they don't have a number for you to call. No, no, and there's it no turns number. Out you can't actually get back any of your Robux after you've spent them. Wow. So this is a timely conversation because now <laughs> it's not just Roblox, right? We have large language models that have actually made AI commonplace. Both of my kids use AI. Both of my kids are on ChatGPT. My mom, 75 years old, has used it. This is big stuff. Uh, from Alexa and my child just connected something else to my Alexa, right? So uh, my lights are connected to Alexa. They're like, mom, we can go away and we can turn on our lights. I'm like, great. It's great. I'm so excited. But Microsoft 365, I love that I can start typing and it gives me the exact next phrase that I would say. It's not just a word, it's tailored to me. So it does help my life sometimes, right? And then there's the big things like identifying early indications of cancer. 
that a doctor wouldn't detect. So the topics of AI, trust, societies, and people are critical. And we find ourselves standing in this very unique inflection point. Everyone's talking about and over 100 million people as of three days ago are using ChatGPT. This is a powerful tool that makes access to generative AI something that most of us would have been like, who, what? I don't even know what that is. But it's based on big data sets. If we didn't have so much data, it wouldn't work. We have these huge computing capabilities. You look at NVIDIA, they come up with better and better capabilities every year. It's because of these advances that we can now really use this technology. And the biggest concern I have for society is that legislation has not caught up. And so if something happens where, where you'd want somebody to be accountable like Roblox for my daughter's purchases <laughs> or Amazon, Thank God my daughter didn't order, you know, a Corvette and it show up in my yard. <laughs> do you do? Right? Been a Barbie Corvette. Well, yeah. Listen, the, the I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind if someone in my house ordered a Corvette, the new C8 <laughs> mid-engine, uh, and and this you, you wouldn't complain at all. Okay, not at all. <laughs> Until you, you know, got the bill, right? I know. I mean, that's that's <laughs> right. But, but, but you're, you're right now. So my son's 13. And, uh, you know, about a month or so ago, I, I go into his room to talk to him about something. And he has the uh, uh, open AI prompt uh, working with ChatGPT for his geometry class. Uh, again, he's 13, so seventh grade. So at first, I was proud because we never talked about it. Uh, you know, when people ask me what's the next big thing, I tell them, just look at adoption. Uh, adoption dictates the next big thing, as you mentioned, 100 million people. So OpenAI was founded in 2015. Most of us, at least for me, my real attention was November of last year when, the, you know, when, when the UI was available to all of us. So I asked them, for, and then I got really nervous, by the way, 10 seconds after being proud, I'm like, oh my God, I hope he's not using this for his English assignments. Uh, I asked him, what do you think about it? And he said, dad, it's, it's like a calculator for thinking and writing. Hmm. And I thought, Wow, like you instantly get, get the power of this. And as someone who, you know, actively uses it for, you know, just, uh, you know, vetting my blogs and articles. Um, Sharon, what do you think about, you know, as a company that has the world's first AI platform for, you know, for, for data aggregation and analysis of climate events, what are your thoughts in terms of like this impact of future of work and hiring and recruiting and retaining and the skills we need as a CEO of a company that's very well in tune into AI technologies? Um, thanks for the question. And, and I love, I love, I'm loving this conversation. And Nat, I want you to get the bill, but like Vala, I want the candy apple red, baby. Candy apple red. Same, same. I yeah. love that yeah. color. Red. I love that color. Tell your daughter to order three or four, <laughs> one for all of them. Um, you know, I want to build on what Nat's saying, but I want to go back, uh, really, um, Vala, to, to raise initial point. I mean, like, why now? Why this? Mm. You know, and Nat jumped in and started talking about LLMs or or large language models. But going back, and I'm sure, listen, I'm a tech groupie. I spend a lot of time, you know, I'm not, you've got the engineers and you've got the real scientists on the platform. I'm a business person that spends a lot of time hanging out with technologists. And then I go and I run and I figure out, you know, how to solve some business challenges with, with this stuff. And so I'm always really trying to distill really complex ideas down into something that's really simple that like just a business guy or a six-year-old can understand. And so AI has been around for a long time. You know, we can go back to the 30s and Churchill and Tesla and then Tesla went out. And so this idea of, of teaching machines how to be intelligent using large volumes of data is not a new thing. Right. And so we've got we've got narrow AI, we've got general AI, we've got super AI, which a lot of times people are really they're like, oh, my God, AI, you know. And so, you know, and then, you know, science fiction is becoming science fact and we don't know where to stop the science fiction from the science fact. And so, you know, I think we need to have a little bit of myth busting going on here. And I'm teeing you up, uh, Dr. Scrifignano. Yeah, I'm teeing you up, my friend. Um, because I, I want some of the, the super smart 
guys to really demystify some of this stuff and then talk about maybe some of the functionalities and then some of the branches um, because AI has been around. So why now? Well, I think Nat nailed it. I think it's because of generative AI and these large language models. All of a sudden, something that's been around for a long time is really like top of mind for people today. And so, but I, I want to take step a take take a step back from the large language models to just talk about how is how is AI like impacting us in society? If we look at people today, I can, you know, as this person from the wrong side of the tracks, I'm the youngest of eight. Wow. My parents said to me, hey, kid, you better be super smart because we ain't got no money for you to go to college. You better get a scholarship, girl. Right. And so I have I have the capacity today, you know, using AI and other kinds of technologies to influence global thinking with my ideas. I couldn't have done that perhaps 20, it would have been a lot more difficult. Yeah. And so I think about how AI enables voice, it enables agency, how power is shifting from, from, um, from governments to companies and from companies to people. The last thing I'll say is think about, for example, how Elon Musk and Starlink was able, he's, we're even thinking about war differently mm. because of ubiquitous communications, right? Right. And so we were able to impact the war in Ukraine. And of course, he's like, well, I've got a solution for the war. And the Ukrainians are like, nah, we don't like that. But we'll take the Starlink. Thank you very much. <laughs> but, but the point is, is that I think that AI is shifting power in our society. I think voice and agency, and certainly we can talk about ideas around freedom of expression, et cetera, et cetera. And that mentioned uh, um, uh, uh, legislation. I think that, I think it's uh, uh, section 47 of the U.S. Code, section 230, talk, you know, is what is, is really kind mm -hmm. of what unleashed us to say, hey, you're not really a pub, you're not, you're a tech company, you're not a publisher. Everybody's mm -hmm. responsible for their own, you know, what they're saying here. And so I think we're going to see, um, as we continue to develop uh, breakthroughs in, in quantum computing and other things, which I think is the future of AI, I think we're going to have lots of changes in policy around AI because of the concerns that people are starting to have. Is it too early to, to imagine what the impact might be, or is it not early enough? Are we, are we not jumping early enough to with the right policies? Where do you see that? Um, listen, I, I think that one of the most interest, first of all, I don't think you can regulate human behavior. AI is a tool, just like any tool. If you put it in the hands of a creepy person, they're going to do creepy things with it, <laughs> right? I mean, right? Okay. So you can't level the consciousness of people. Um, I think Section 230 was right for the time. That's my personal view. But I think one of the things that's most interesting, Ray, is the idea of transparency. I know it's a soft landing place for mm. folks who are thinking about policy and regulation. But if you think about transparency, how the heck am I as a legislator going to yeah. legislate something that I don't even know? <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're cooking up in the back of the house. So, you know, transparency is a kind of a, like a cheat. I'm kind of cheating <laughs> on the answer. But I think we need to spend a lot of time thinking about how do we deal with the opaqueness of what's actually happening not just in companies that specialize in AI, but in tech companies in general, so that we can get a better understanding of what we need to be regulated. Anthony, we saw this. We saw this a couple of years ago when the legislators and policymakers were questioning head of social networks. And based on the, the questions, most of us sat there and thought, wow, you really don't know how monetization on the internet works. You have no idea how well, social networks- Come on, networks they want to send emails from Facebook. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, no. But then you can say that about cryptocurrencies, 14 years old, policy still debating, store of value, equity. You know, I don't it's, know, it's, it's Ripple uh, security. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> my point is now you're talking about this branch of science AI with all these derivatives, computer vision, natural language processing, smart computing, uh, and generative AI. How can policy, I and mean, of course you are there and you're doing that. You've been guiding the White House and others. Tell us about, I mean, I, I just can't imagine policymakers keeping up with the velocity, speed, and direction that we're seeing in this space, the AI space. Your thoughts? Uh, amen to that. So, um, you know, I'm a scuba diver. and um, Patty certified how? Where, where, uh, where is he going with this? Well, that regulator is pretty damn important, right? If you don't have a regulator, it won't blow up. But at the same time, if it regulates everything and stops all the flow, 
no, mm. no bad stuff will come in, but no good stuff will come in. And you'll wow, die, great right? analogy. Oh, great for the BCD there. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, no jokes about rebreathers. But anyway, there's, there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of um, you know, challenge put on these regulators because innovation is always going to outpace sure. regulation. But now we have the ability to, there's even a branch of AI called RegTech where yeah. You look at the the evolution of regulation to try mm -hmm. to understand where to regulate based on what's being regulated. That, talk about a meta problem, right? So I, I, I want to back up just two seconds to a couple things that were said because I was biting my tongue um, while my esteemed colleagues were talking. <laughs> you know, I, I'm all about like defining the terms and like what are we really talking about, right? So this thing, AI, of which we speak, there's no intelligence. It's math. Mm -hmm. Sorry, right? Uh, it, it takes a bunch of information. It does a bunch of math algorithms, and it, it spits out a bunch of stuff. Um, Alan Turing, uh, you might have heard of the Turing test, right? Yep, he proposed yep. this, this test that um, machines would be seen to be intelligent when we could not tell by asking them questions whether or not we were talking to a machine. Mm -hmm. And now we have machines asking us to prove that we're not robots. What the heck is going on here, right? Yeah. You stop and realize we, we, that we, have, we are the robots. <laughs> Some things have happened while we weren't paying attention, right? And so, you know, getting back to your question, if you answer a bunch of quizzes, if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? I, I'm sorry, if you're naive enough to think that was about you being a tree, then maybe you deserve what they did with your information. You've got to think about where is all this information going? How is it being used? How might it be used other than the way in which I think it's being used? We are all we are all data collection points and data dissemination points in living our lives right now by walking around with a cell phone, by clicking on a link and watching something like this. You are creating data. You are creating a crazy shipload, I said ship with a P, of data. <laughs> and this is growing. PG audience, that's great. The <laughs> other thing that I think is important to keep in mind, and I say it, you know, sort of tongue in cheek, well, I found it on the internet. It must be true, right? Well, what do you think these large language models are doing? They are ingesting everything that's being said. We found it on TikTok. Grow, right? <laughs> and and they can become racist. They can they can anchor on misinformation and disinformation. They can capture ideas that were said with sarcasm, with neologism, by doing things with language that we do to be clever. We can, they're very brittle. It's very easy to confuse them. And anybody who's an expert in them, as soon as I said that, oh no, as, as long as there's enough language, then, then it will even itself out. Maybe true eventually, hard to tell to the guy whose parachute didn't open on the way down, right? So, so <laughs> we really need to pay attention. There's a reason why I say this all the time. There's a reason why in court we swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Because those are three different things. Right? <laughs> and those are three different ways of manipulating your perception of the veracity of what I'm saying. All of those are problems to these large language models. So, Anthony, is it the. I'm sorry, and I'll get off my rant. The last thing when we say generative AI, what we mean is it's generating something, it's outputting. Yeah. Right. So it's summarizing what it read or what it consumed. Generally, we're experiencing it right now in, in words, but it can be pictures. It can be anything. Sure. It consumes a bunch of stuff and it produces more stuff like that stuff. Right. In a way, that's kind of like digital hearsay. Right. Mm. We're getting information from the thing which got the information from other sources that are now invisible to us and we're consuming it. You better stop and think when you do stuff like that, because that's not admissible in court. And so garbage in, garbage out. We we totally get that. And you know yeah. what we've seen with generative AI is like we used to identify the patterns. Now it completes the patterns. There you go. Uh, and what well, we're able not to do wrong. is actually get to the next level, which is take action and make decisions. Right. Yeah. That's kind of where we're stuck at at the moment. And, and we say we'll never take direction from a robot. We turn left when the when the GPS says turn left. Right. So <laughs> we're already taking direction. So we. We need to so pay those? attention. Oh, whether it's it could be music on Spotify, it could be Amazon Prime uh, recommending movies, it could be, it could be, you know, we're being guided. We're our being most guided. indispensable apps are powered by AI algorithms. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's, you know, it's but but, but a, a, a venture uh, a venture capitalist recently said when the refrigerator was invented, most people thought that refrigerator companies were going to be the biggest companies in the world. It turns out the biggest brands, biggest companies, ended up being companies like Coca Cola. 
you took advantage of the tool refrigerator to serve cold, delicious mm. drinks. You yeah. must be, as a data scientist, all three of you, like a CEO who's bringing AI platforms to market, someone who's been studying uh, as AI at John Hopkins, and of course, chief data scientist down in Bradstreet, you must all be excited about how these tools can launch great capabilities. Can, what are you excited about, uh, Anthony? Like all of you, what, 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 what excites you? I'm not against all of this. I'm I'm very much pro it, but I'm pro. You know, we invented a new hammer. Let's be careful how we use the hammer, right? <laughs> so, so um, I really do think that there's some amazing. You know, Natalie started. Thank you with all of the wonderful things that are possible with the the democratization of this new capability. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. But there's no, you know, all of these conversations that start with, why don't we just, you know, that everybody's looking for the quick fix. Well, let's just consume all the information and ask the AI what it says. Um, not such a great idea if you're looking for bad guys. Not such a great idea if you're looking for the black swan. Not such a good idea if you're trying to understand what's going to happen in the context of some disruption that never happened before. Right. That, those answers aren't contained in that history. So you've got to be careful that you don't use the hammer to hammer in a screw. That's all I'm trying to say about these kinds of approaches. Uh, definitely some amazing, if I'm a physician, I don't. there's no way you could read everything that's being published in any field of medicine right now. Please give me something that will give me a summary of what's being said so that I can actually go be a physician and not a researcher and read, so, you know, 99% of the time. No, no, we, we definitely see the see the bad sides and, and the controls that need to be there. Um, you know, you're sitting out there on JFK Parkway, thinking of new ideas and short hills. Like, what, what, what's something that pops up in your mind, right? Or, you know, back in the day when you're sitting somewhere, you know, trying to think about what might what might be new. Like, what, what are the positive aspects that, that could so, help us? So a lot of the work that I've done uh, has been looking for novel malfeasance, so new types of bad behavior. So... Uh, here's the thing. If you use there's one branch of AI is called supervised AI. Yeah. So you look at the past and you look at a lot of the past mm -hmm. and then you kind of mathematically summarize that and you project it into the future. And you can predict with a certain precision that as long as the future looks reasonably like the past, then you can predict in, to some extent what might be happening. The best bad guys, if they think they're being watched, they change their behavior. So if you model you're modeling how the best ones are no longer behaving. It's you're That's doing wonderful. the exact opposite of what you ought to be doing. So you could throw your hands up and say, well, then we can't find them until they do something bad and then we'll mm. catch them faster. Uh, maybe, I mean, hopefully we can be better than that. If, if I said right now that I am sure there's one, two, three, four, five of us, right? I promise you that the other four of you are not thinking about how your shoes feel. Now you're thinking about how your shoes feel because I said that, right? Human beings can be manipulated. So now you're trying not to think about not thinking about how your shoes feel because I said uh, that. Princess I, I don't even think Ray's wearing shoes, but that's just <laughs> I'm actually not. Princess no, yeah, problem. I'm barefoot in the studio. Shoes and how, how might they feel? So the, the, my point is that by doing that, I manipulated the focus of your thinking, right? Well, there are algorithms that can be used like that to manipulate the environment around potential malefactors to influence their behavior so that they become more discoverable as malefactors. What did he just say? I can scare the cat out of the room so I can see him better in another room. And uh, there are definitely ways of using AI to do stuff like that. Super exciting ways. And now we have enough data to be able to do things like that. We have enough data to be able to see coalescent behavior that is unlike the behavior around it and never before seen. Coalescent novel behavior. So we can figure out where to focus our attention, even though we've never seen this thing before. If, I, if, I, if you looked out the window and it's a beautiful day and the birds are chirping and the wind is blowing and a clown carrying a smoke balloon, you know, parachute, your brain would go right there, right? Well, we could teach algorithms to do that too. So I'm very excited about the that, that there's now enough data and enough compute power and enough adult supervision in the AI world that we can focus on problems that were intractable, computationally overwhelming just a few years ago. Now we could just pull tools down and approach problems like that and go do some amazing stuff. So That's a great highlight. And, and, and Sharon, I'm going to ask the same question to you. Like, where do you see the positive aspects going forward? And then to you, Nat. So, Sharon. 
I'm giving you lots of P's. I talked about people. I talked about power. I talked about policy a little bit. I want to talk about prosperity um, because I think people are concerned. I mean, is this really going to make life better for me? Um, and, and I am a person who spends a lot of time about thinking about how do you shift capital into places where capital hasn't flown, solving the investor's dilemma, particularly at the intersection of climate and technology mm -hmm. and some of the most marginalized communities on planet earth. Um, those communities matter. It's kind of like the front line. When mm -hmm. they fall, we are all impacted. And so um, I spent a lot of time thinking about how to work with people like uh, Nat and like Anthony uh, to, to dig into real expertise, you know, real um, knowledge about things like the, the hybrid approach that Anthony's talked about. And, and how do you leverage technologies, for example, like earth observation technologies and other kinds of technologies to begin to get data um, so you see there, I've listed uh, resilience technologies. We've been in we've been in stealth mode, but what we really have been in stealth mode trying to build is an index that not only begins to really measure the resilience and vulnerability of a place or yep. physical assets, but really one that has the capacity to provide recommendations that are actionable, so that you can help someone to take concrete steps to make decisions so that we can save lives and livelihoods. That's what I'm all about. So we're and going so, from persuasive tech to consensual tech to mindful tech that's actually built for us as opposed to the system. Absolutely. And so it's, it's really interesting that you talk about the system, Ray, because I spend a lot of time thinking about, can we use the same, for example, kinds of capital systems approach to solve challenges that we in fact have created with those <laughs> systems? That's probably another that's another episode. But uh, but for now, what we want to do and what I'm excited about is that resilience doesn't work without data. And, mm -hmm. and, and then being able to aggregate data and then get insights that actually help us to make decisions that can save lives and livelihoods, particularly within the context of climate change, which is of top of mind for everyone. So if you build the incentives properly, you have a demand side, supply side marketplace that you can take advantage, like the way you look at capital markets. That's what you're thinking about, right, Sharon? Yeah, I am, because I think that there, well, we've already demonstrated that we can use matching algorithms to get folks to cross that bridge to start to invest differently in people and in places and in ideas that they wouldn't because this is a de-risking tool. People are interested in risk engineering. Investors invest with people that they know and they like. Yeah, true. You don't know those guys. It's risky because you don't know them. Warren Buffett said, if you don't understand what you're doing, everything's risky, right? <laughs> and, so, and so how do you build bridges between industry, between governments, between investors, and between communities of people that really need it most? That's what I'm interested in using um, AI, um, and data for just to really solve uh, for some of those challenges within the context of climate resilience. All right, real same question to you, Nat. What, what do you say? Yeah, so I think the question that you're really asking is what are the proper use cases that we want to identify for AI, right? And when it comes to use cases, the reason that that term matters is that highlights the other piece that we were highlighting, which is we need to make sure we have validated data so Anthony referenced, if I'm a physician, I don't want to research all day. I want something that can aggregate that research information. As a patient, I have a wearable that gives me my, you know, non-official health information. I go to five different doctors. I have on three different platforms. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I want AI that can use a use case for Nat Barrett, pull yep. my information together and tell yep. me, what should I be eating? What should my uh, Samsung enabled refrigerator recommend is missing for my refrigerator to optimize my health, right? <laughs> I want something to come to my house so that I can put on and have a conversation like this with the doctor, getting the most important information that they need to make an assessment, to send me my results, to send me my tests, so that I can also send that information and those capabilities. I, I want a hospital or a doctor in a box that I can send to someone in a disadvantaged area where that capability, that edge processing is on board that platform in case I can't get access to a do doctor. Maybe I can't get satellite communications, right? There are so many beneficial use cases, but we have to define what those use cases are. 
And in order to do that, we have to know that we have validated data sets, which we do. We have protocols, we have processes, and those are what we need to use. If we use those, whether it be for financial markets or climate security or medical treatment and personalized medicine is something that we've talked about for a decade, but haven't been able to do. I believe today we can do that. I hear from, um, you know, folks that are in media and they're concerned, or at least initially they were concerned that, that their livelihood was gonna be taken. I wanna echo something I heard someone say, I think it was Anthony. AI, it's just a reflection of you. And it's a reflection of everything that we've said. It's different though than an artist or someone who actually writes a poem. Because for some reason, when we directly impart information, there's part of our soul that's reflected in that. Hmm. When we just get a copy of it, a photocopy of that poem, eh, <laughs> it's not as authentic. And so no matter what, the human intelligence, the HI, will always be more valuable than artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence should always augment a human for it to truly be valuable. Oh, we got a Screen Actors Guild strike and a little actor strike going on. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. yeah Iger's comment definitely blew off a couple of days ago. Uh, okay, so uh, <laughs> uh, uh, a famous uh, famous investor um, 10 years ago, maybe maybe 12 years ago, said, uh, Andreessen, uh, Mark Andreessen, uh, software's eating the world. And then the CEO of NVIDIA a couple of years ago said, AI is eating software. A lot of people didn't quite understand when he said that. But today, most of us see AI writing software, AI testing software, literally some of the most advanced work is happening with machines. Um, so you've worked a lot in, that in, in terms of, uh, on projects focusing on responsible AI. Like you said, if, you know, if you're good in life, you're good on social, you're good in terms of building products. If you're not, you're not. There are not a lot of, you know, sometimes we don't have great actors. So, uh, so tell us about what is responsible AI and why does it matter so much? Now, my company, seven years ago, hired our first ever ethical and humane use of software chief executive reporting to our CEO. So we recognized, uh, you know, many, many years ago that, you know, we got to be careful what we're building. If it's not advancing society in a positive way, where trust is our number one core value, we really have to be mindful at the drawing board before the first line of code is ever written. So can you talk to us, share with our audience, what's responsible AI and why does it matter so much? Yeah, I want to go back to something. Um, there's a founding document, in my opinion, put out by the Defense Innovation Board. Uh, it was the AI principles for ethical use of AI. And they put in there the five principles of ethical AI. The first is for it to be responsible. And so now the CDAO is focused on what does responsible AI look like. But the force four following principles sort of support what responsible AI is. It's equitable. It recognizes something I didn't get to talk about. We mentioned the data. There are plenty of folks that have phones, but there are plenty of people that do not have phones or access to the internet, even in inner city Baltimore, right? I'm not talking about third world countries. I'm talking about in the United States of America. There are people whose data is not being collected which means that their data is not part of the future. So we have to be aware of the equality of the data that we're using and the quality of the results that, we're, that we come up with, which is very powerful because as someone said, in the future, AI, if used properly, it can be a democratic tool. It basically pulls the power back to the people, but only if used in the right use cases. It also has to be traceable. Traceable means I need to know where that data came from. I need smart folks like Anthony to tell me what that algorithm did. If I'm gonna have an algorithm fight with an algorithm, I need to know what comes out of that. I need to be able to understand it and know how much I can trust it. It needs to be reliable and repeatable. I need to be able to test it in some way. And for me, the most important is that it has to be governable. I have to be able to turn it off. I need to be able to disable it. Um, the DIU Defense Innovation Unit has the best worksheets, I think, that are out there right now on how to wow. handle responsible AI. NIST has done a lot of great work in, in trying to evaluate trust in artificial intelligence uh, systems. Um, Deloitte's done a lot. 
My favorite two companies in this area, my favorite is Microsoft. I think they have done a whole lot of work uh, really focusing on what it means to have responsible AI. Uh, someone has mentioned recently the social license that's required when you release AI in a product, mm. similar to a mining company. I think that's powerful because I think that's where we're moving with AI. It's yep. a tool yep. and tools have to get consensus from the population to be adopted. It's yeah, sort David of, and I are... right? I would have never gotten in an Uber before, but I trust it. Right, right, right. I mean, that whole point of challenging dominant logic, 15 years ago, dominant logic was you're not going to get in a stranger's car to go from A to B. Dominant logic was you're not going to rent your private residency to strangers. <laughs> and I'm yet still the two not. most powerful, <laughs> your house is too nice. I've been there. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, just think about the two most successful IPOs in the last, you know, 20 years are companies that challenge dominant logic. And Anthony, I'm going to, and I think it was Dr. Kai-Fu Lee, who's been in the AI space for 40 plus years. He wrote the AI superpower US versus China. And I think the thesis in his book was the fact that US will focus so much on reversibility and explainability, and essentially he called it like dumbifying the, the neural networks that are producing accurate results, more accurate than humans, because they're, they're, they're concurrently analyzing across thousands of dimensions is why China will win. Because again, we're trying to slow down this incredible capabilities of these technology solutions. Your, your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, so I've, I've spent a lot of time with regulators around the world uh, on these very difficult questions. And there is not a pan-galactic answer to this. this. The reality is that in different parts of the world, we value different things. So when we talk about transparency and openness and and um you know first principles of privacy and so forth you you might be shocked at how different an answer you would get sure. and you might think that certain things are universally true we all want privacy well yeah we all want privacy uh, and then there's always a footnote what what does privacy mean in the context of national defense or in the context of saving your life or in the context of, um, you know, um, uh, Anthony, I just, I, I just want to be disconnected and not be yeah. seen as a terrorist. Well, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I'm getting to the point where I want to say, I just want a pony. Like it, it's, hard to, it's hard to just want anything. I just want a Corvette. <laughs> um, but, but be careful what you wish for. Right. So, um, the, the, um, not with regard to the Corvette. So, um, you know, a couple, a couple realities. We used to talk a lot about explainability, mm. and Nat just talked about, um, and to some extent, uh, competition. There are certain AI methods where hundreds of AI methods, meta methods, I guess, uh, can compete with each other to get the quote-unquote best answer to give you. Yeah. There's cognitive approaches that will converge on advice that you're more more likely to take without knowing why you take the advice, yeah. right? So, you know, we can't necessarily explain why we reach certain decisions. We think we can, right? After the fact, we rationalize how we think we made a decision. But the reality is that how we made that decision is a lot more complicated than we think it is. We're constantly simplifying the world around us in our minds. Some would argue to keep from kind of, you know, getting overwhelmed with that. Um, same thing happens in AI. So. It's, it's helpful to be able to explain the output or to be able to govern things like, I didn't use your race or your religion to decide whether or not you get parole. Okay. But what yeah. if somehow an algorithm found a, a, a mathematical workaround to your age or your religion or your, and accidentally, right? So by using other characteristics, by using other characteristics, I've sort of converged on something that's a proxy for your age because I didn't have your age, yeah. but I I've noticed that people named Elizabeth and Jonathan and Norm are, are better. I'm making this up. I have no idea what this means are better than people named Al and, you know, pick a bunch of other names. And so, and indirectly what I've done is I've, I've favored names of older people. Right. Can you imagine mm. how something like that could happen? Of For course, someone named Vala, I'm terrified because it's such know, a small like, data set. <laughs> Holy Gertrude. Because there's only been three of them Holy and Gertrude. two of them were bad guys, right? And so, you know, I can convince you that left-handed people are way more likely to die of COVID because there's fewer left-handed people in the sample. And if I do the wrong stupid yeah. math, 
I can prove that that's true. So we have to be really, these are called a priori assumptions. We have to be very careful yep, about yep. the a priori assumptions that go into our application of these methods to do what Natalie's talking about requires adult supervision. It requires people, not algorithms that are sitting back and rethinking, you know, what are the, the assumptions, the going in assumptions. We talk about ethics. We've got to outline those ethical principles. If we say, I'll make one up. If we say that your privacy is important and we will value your privacy over commercially exploiting data. Hmm. What about in times of crisis where we need to exploit that data to save more people's lives and we happen to be making money on it? Is that commercially exploiting it or is that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one? I'm glad I don't have to be an ethicist because it's really hard to make these decisions and there isn't a black and white answer. And that answer changes depending on where you are in the world and what does your country value national security over personal privacy? Does it value the right to be forgotten over let's remember what you did so that we can make sure you don't do it again? Though these are all questions that, you know, you want a vacation in the mountains or the, the beach. They're they're um, they're not opposite to each other. They're just opposed no, to each other. Definitely not mutually exclusive. And, and we create these problems in, in AI. And unfortunately, a lot of these AI methods, I used the term brittle before, they're very easily breakable. Uh, when you start telling a convolutional neural network, which is supposed to consume everything and then make decisions on it, to sort of leave certain things out because we're not allowed to consume them, then you're creating algorithmic blind spots in that method that thought it was consuming everything. And then some of those methods will fill in the blanks with sort of the average of what isn't there. Imagine what that does to race and religion. And oh, false age. negatives, false positives are going to be very there hard. And the and, level of precision also, we need to get the yeah. trust is going to be very important. Yeah, and, and I, I, that's you know, I gave you the, the four people in the car. You know, two of them are too hot, two of them are too cold. The car is fine. No, it's not, right? Uh, but these algorithms will reach conclusions like that. These methods, I shouldn't even say algorithms, will reach conclusions like that. So, you know. You, you remember you remember how like all the temperature in all the school buildings were controlled by some thermostat in Texas? Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> when we were kids. Um, no, so I, they I averaged out the temperature for the for the year. And that's what that's how they came up to it. So, so, but but, but yeah. Sharon, Sharon, I was going to ask you a question about the green jobs machine. Right. We, we've been talking a lot about you know, um, irresponsible AI approaches. David Bray and I wrote an article in MIT Sloan about responsible AI and, and people-centered AI. Um, you know, talk more about the green jobs machine and, and, and why it's people-centered and what you need to do to help accelerate your efforts. Uh, how does AI fit into this in a way that we can take more advantage of it? So. Mm. Um, you know, we decided to lift out the scoring tool. I was talking to Anthony actually offline about this and he gave me a great metaphor because the green jobs machine is a typewriter. It's a systems thinking solution to- Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. You know, how to, how to shift capital at scale into some of the most uh, vulnerable communities that are vulnerable to 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 climate adverse climate um, events, and it, you know we we I'll never forget this because he's, you know Sharon is like lifting the space bar. You're not you're not going to market with the typewriter. You just you're going to market with the space bar. So you know we basically lifted out the space bar, which is this um, our scoring tool and a decision management platform, and all of a sudden people can understand this whole play because we've simplified it. We've made something really complex, simple. Um, we're gearing up to go to market to raise capital. We're still pre-seed. We're, um, we're going to market to raise capital for the minimum viable product, which is an AI-enabled platform that helps us to, first of all, understand how do you actually define resilience? And in order to do that, we've got to go out and start validating the index because otherwise it's and that's complex because as we've talked about, it's not linear. Right. I mean, things are not happening the way they used to happen. So our capacity to um, our capacity to predict, I mean, think about what's happened in Vermont. Right. You know. In two days, there was slow wet. Rain. Exactly. Yeah. And so how do you how do you start to help people to survive long enough to become sustainable? And honestly speaking, Ray, Valley guys, I have stopped doing everything else that I was doing to just focus on green jobs wow. and resilience tech, because I sincerely believe that if we don't begin to really dig deep into how do we use 
data? How do we use AI to begin to solve for climate resilience? We are going to have, we already are having millions of people leave their homes and migrate. Think about the implications for our global economy. Think about implications for everything that you care about. I cannot think of anything that's more important than us figuring out how do we survive long enough in order to become sustainable. And so um, that's how we're doing it. It's all about, first of all, figuring out some kind of index so that we can get into the the quantitative analyses Mm -hmm. and then really looking at how to use matching algorithms to match the resilience score of a company to the resilience score of a community. So you can figure out like, okay, here's your immediate community. And once you explain this to businesses, it's, and again, it's AI enabled. It's like, okay, here's your resilience profile. And here's the resilience profile of the community in which you operate. If you do this, this, and this, that community is going to be more stable and your business is going to be better. And they're like, Oh, (laughs) yeah, that makes sense. But it gets more difficult when you're talking about like the Maldives or you talk about places that are where there are no big corporates to kind of think about this as your operating environment. How do you begin to measure resilience, incentivize businesses, society, governments to really begin to invest differently in ways that are going to help some of those communities to really survive. And yeah, there are going to be people that the the recommendations that come out, it's going to be, you got to move. <laughs> you know, wow. I mean, what can you do unless you're going to geoengineer and, and, and get your, you know, island up on stilts, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not, there's no silver bullet to this, but it really is all about matching and making sure that we understand what resilience is and you need data for that. You need analytics. We got to hold that next conference in Mali while we can. So So this is so, so I envision the journey is, you know, describe the descriptive use of analytics, then diagnose why things happen, diagnostic use of analytics, now use the resilience AI platform for advanced predictive use of analytics. Now algorithms are used to predict based on historical information as uh, Professor Clay Christensen reminded us, all the data we have is from the past. So we need formulas and algorithms and theories. And then ultimately, maybe using LLMs to prescriptive use of analytics, where yeah, you're not just making predictions. Your resiliency score is low. Here are the ten things you need to do, and those ten things are created by, of course, your climate experts, your engineers, your data scientists, but also turbocharged using LLMs. Is that a fair? I, I, I would be very careful. Yeah, I, would, I was right there with you until that. Until you, okay. Yeah, if you yeah. use LLMs to ask about the future. They are going to consume the data from the past to do right. that. What, what, so, if it's a, what if it's a private foundational model that you're tweaking with your own data? It's not the had, chat GPT open I stuff. It, I got it. So if you had a corpus of, of lots of really smart people's predictions yes. about yes. the future, lots of what lots of futurists are saying, yeah. and you asked an LLM to help you synthesize that, and yes, I absolutely agree. Yes, with you. okay. Uh, but if you're just going to try to say- The you know, Janu- June 21st data yeah. from GPT-3, yes, you're not right. going to do that. Yeah. Based on yeah. what we've learned, and a great example is a really good example of this. Right in the middle of COVID, and we all forget this, um, there was a ship stuck in the middle of the Suez Canal. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. what the heck? Like, what, <laughs> you weren't complicated enough now that had to happen, right? Um, are you going to use any data from the past in the middle of this no. massive disruption yeah. with yeah. this weird thing? And it turned out that one of the biggest impacts of that was in California, yeah. right? Like, who knew, yeah. right? So I need, I need some smart people that understand logistics to yeah. just look at this and, you know, like, think for me because I'm sorry, I can't regress my way into a decision there's going to be a lot of issues where people just really don't understand the industry or don't have enough data and don't realize they don't have enough data but or the wrong you, data. Yes. And yet, if you ask a, an LLM to give you an answer, it will give you an answer. Right? Oh, it will. It will. Let's, we just get turn up the hallucination. You'll get a good answer. Right. I, mean, <laughs> you know, you can, I was, I was told one time that I couldn't bring a, an electronic calculator into a place because we couldn't have electronic devices. And I, and I forgot. My I son had. would be disappointed. Go ahead. I, I, I forgot. It was in like a little pack. And I said, what am I, you know, didn't didn't get the reaction I wanted. I said, what am I going to do? Divide by zero? Like take the square root of a negative number? Like it, you, you can't, you know, don't blame the tool when you did something yeah. stupid with it. Yeah. 
Wrong audience. Good Wrong advice. audience. Just Good kidding. Advice. <laughs> We're here with Natalie Barrett, senior fellow at the Atlanta Funny Council. Funny in my head. Right? Sharon <laughs> McPherson, CEO of the Green Jobs Machine, and Dr. Anthony Strifagano, global award-winning chief data scientist sitting somewhere in New Jersey. So, <laughs> hey, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate all you being here. And uh, we hope Dr. David Bray is okay. We'll catch up with him later. So. All right. Thank, thank you. Thank Cheers. you, everyone. Thanks. It's always so much fun. Thank right. you. Thanks so much. Thanks. Okay. Uh, that was uh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my brain was certainly expanded. I, I, listen, Ray, I'm just, I'm, it's hard for me to keep up with super smart, extraordinary people. Um, with, with certainly three at a time. So I, I don't know about you, but I'm going to be rewatching this episode over the weekend. So I can capture all the uh, nuggets of wisdom that were that was dropped on us. So, can yeah. you summarize the last hour for our? No, no, no. I think yeah. I, th I think the way to look at this is that you know, um, th there's a lot of conversation about uh, generative AI and ChatGPT. I think a lot of folks don't realize what they're getting into. Um, there's a lot of uh, situations where we might not have data to actually solve the problem, or we need more data to get to level precision that we are comfortable so that our stakeholders can trust us, right? And, and to get to that precision may require a lot more effort than most people are, are ready for. Um, and so there are a lot of times where we actually believe that, you know, there is not good uh, information and there's not, uh, you know, an outcome. And, and so we're going to hide behind policies. And, and I think we, we can't just hide behind policies. We, we actually have to build frameworks that allow people to be successful. And, and you know, yeah. technology is really a reflection of people, right? Well, I mean, we can yeah. use technology for good or technology for evil. Uh, and, and that pops in. And, and we've we just got to make sure that we, we're on the right side of history there. Uh, but, you know, a lot of things that are being built here are, are really about talking about the future. And I think each of these guests really had a different perspective of what it meant for you know, their fields and, and, and our future. And so I think we've got a lot more to talk about in terms of the future of AI. And uh, more importantly, we might even have someone that, I think Dr. David Bray is popping up here somewhere. We'll see if he's in here. Uh, if he's here, we'll, we'll bring him in. But I think that's that's really been the shift that we're seeing, oh, oh. right? So, yeah, <laughs> I think he's there. Oh, hey, there, there he is. We'll see. Hello, how are you all? I hope we don't see your video, but we glad that you, you can, can hear me, but you bit. can't see me. Let's see if uh, I need to turn on my camera. My apologies. Oh, we'll see if that works. I hope if you were not, listening. Uh, I apologize because uh, I actually had something pop up family oriented, but I did was able to catch you and Anthony and Nat and company. And so it sounded like you all had a great conversation. Well, hey, we're going to have you on the next show and, and next time. And But thank you so much. We just want to at least acknowledge that you're here. Oh, there we go. Excellent. There it is. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, no, it, it's uh, again, it's a it's a timely topic. It's an important topic. And I think, uh, as you all were saying, I think everyone's trying to look for what's the right model for what we're looking for here. And so I would say, you know, uh, there, there's a phrase that says all models are broken, just some are more useful than others. <laughs> and, and, and one of the things that I think I would leave people with, and I know, Ray, you and I did it when we did our 2019 uh, people-centered approach to AI, is really think about it at the end of the day, it's organizations, it's people. And so while we treat the AI as somehow being all-knowing or, or knowing more, uh, in fact, it really is just sort of think of it as an organization in and of itself. And just like we have ways for doing governance and uh, corporate oversight and ways of responsibility for human organizations, we can do the same thing for digital machines as well. Yeah. You know, well, hey, you're the, you're the, the person word. that I know closest <laughs> to Jack Ryan. So <laughs> when you weren't here, I just imagine a helicopter had picked you up in the back your backyard to take you to. Well, the there are things going on in the world that we may not be able to talk about on on video, my friend. But I do look forward to talking about it. CCE. So, he found the uh, UFOs. He found the UFOs, guys. Doctor Bray is the closest Jack Ryan character I know. So well, I'm glad you're here and you're not the UFOs, at the White man. House the uh, debriefing. Yeah. Uh, legislators well, and, and, and what I would say is between you, Vala, <laughs> you, Ray, and, and, and everyone you know, I, I think we've got the, uh, the, the mod squad or the, 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 the A-team for any situation that can be actually put our way. So I look forward to the day when we actually all mobilize or Avengers assemble, uh, and maybe increasingly we're getting to the point where it's on AI or bio or space, yeah. the Avengers assemble moment is coming. I love it. Well, David, love thank it. you so thank much. Thank you, Captain America. I love it. All right. We'll see you, well, we'll see you, see you later. later. Thank you, Vala. I'll see you. Bye, David. <laughs> All right. That's next good. week, what do we have? Okay, next week you and I are off, which is rare because we probably only take a handful of weeks off during the year. But uh, we come back to you on July 28th, and we have Yusuf Tayob Group 
chief executive at Accenture Operations. Uh, Yosef leads hundreds of thousands of people at Accenture. Lee Rainey, director, former director of internet oh, research yes. at Pew Research. Oh, uh, Lee, Lee's fantastic. And uh, Damon Levy, CEO of Learn It and author of uh, Learn It All Leader. Uh, so we have a great author to join our, our incredible, incredible episode 330, Ray. 330, and we just crossed the 1,022 interviews. So if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. We'll take a break next week. We'll see you two weeks from today. Thank you for watching and see you soon.